You're listening to the Eagles Insider Podcast. Now here's your host, Chris McPherson. Happy holidays to everyone out there, and welcome to another edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast. I am Chris McPherson, joined alongside by my main man, Alex Smith. Happy holidays to you as well, C-Mac. I'm not going to rat you out and say that you don't have all of your holiday shopping done, kind of getting down to the wire, but to all the listeners out there, happy holidays as well. We've already started talking about what we're going to do for off-season features. And we talked about how Alex will be traveling for most of the month of January, going to the Shrine Game in oh, St. Yeah. Pete and the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama mm-hmm. with Fran Duffy. And one of the features that came up is we're going to be talking a lot about Carson Wentz and the future that he brings to this franchise. But this draft class has been very good overall mm-hmm. from top to bottom. You look at the contributions the Eagles have gotten from players like Isaac Samalo, Halapuli Vali Vitae, Wendell Smallwood, Jalen Mills. But there are some of the undrafted guys and guys who weren't here during training camp or preseason who are still rookies, who have impacted the team as well. And one of those players we are going to profile on today's show, and that's linebacker Kamu Gruje Hill. Yeah, very interesting guy. And, you know, it's a name that probably no Eagles fans out there had really, really knew about, especially when the Eagles claimed him off waivers right before the regular season started. But a guy who kind of didn't know what his fit was going to be in the NFL, and we'll get to that later in the mm-hmm. podcast. Was he a linebacker? Was he a safety? Well, what he's been for the Eagles really all season long has been excellent special teams player. And that's something that Coach Dave Phipp has really prided himself on, is finding these guys who, not just that they want to play special teams, but guys who all have that mentality of just doing whatever it takes to get the job done, whether it's Trey Burton or Chris Maragos or Najee Good. Kamu's just another one of those players who just kind of seems to fit right in perfectly, can play on all the special teams units, and he's kind of gone under the radar, but he's had a nice little year here for the Yeah, Eagles. he's played in 10 games, mostly on special teams. He has one snap on defense. It came in the season opener, his NFL debut against the Cleveland Browns, and he recorded a tackle on the play. Efficient. Perfect. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. But Kamu was born and raised in Hawaii. We're going to get into the story of how he got into playing football and how he ended up at an FCS school in eastern Illinois, and he was originally a draft pick of the New England Patriots, sixth-round selection this year. So we're going to discuss what it's like making the transition, not just to the NFL, but sort of like Carson Wentz, going from that small school to finding your way with not just any team, but arguably the most consistent franchise in the NFL Mm -hmm. over the last decade plus. So we're going to get into our conversation with him, and later on in the podcast, we'll chat with Michael Hodges, who is currently the co-defensive coordinator slash safeties coach for Eastern Illinois. But let's get into it now, our convo with Eagles linebacker Kamu Grugier-Hill. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. So I want to get a little bit into your childhood because Eagles fans are getting to know you. You came in very early in the season, so they probably think to themselves, you know, let's learn a little more about this rookie. You grew up in Hawaii, Mm -hmm. in Honolulu in particular. What was your childhood like? Well, actually, I was born in Honolulu Okay. until I was about four. Then my mom took me and her. I got two brothers and a sister. She took us kind of away. They're a lot older than me, so they're kind of graduating high school and stuff. I pretty much did most of my childhood in Big Island. And then once I got into high school, I moved back to Oahu. In the meantime, my family was a real big soccer family. So my brothers played soccer. They're real good. You know, I was, like, raised playing soccer, so I played soccer. I didn't start playing football to my junior year of high school, and before that, I was just soccer everything. What's the football culture like on Hawaii? I feel like it kind of picked up last year with, like, Marcus Mariota going through yeah. the draft process and all that, but how big is football? I'd say it's the biggest sport probably out there, you know, that and soccer. Soccer's real big out there too, but I think it's no different than out here, you know. It's really a dominant sport, and all the kids play football. So who are the teams 
in terms of like teams that you follow growing up, who are like the big teams out My there? My mom was a big 49ers fan, so I kind of grew up being a 49ers fan. Well, it makes sense. Okay. And then, so there's 49ers, Raiders, and then everyone obviously, Hoy's kind of jumping on the whole Seattle bandwagon ever since they got real good. But other than that, there's so many people out there that just have the most random things. I've seen like Bills fans. It's kind of just out for grabs. I feel like those are all the Bills fans that are enduring all those cold winters. And they're like, <laughs> yeah. you know what? Screw this. We're yeah. going to move to Hawaii. Yeah, exactly. So you are the youngest of the bunch yeah. of four. You say they were your siblings were much older. Like mm-hmm. how how much older? So right I, now you're 20, 22, 23? So my sister's like thirty one and my oldest brother's like thirty eight. So yeah. was that tough growing up? Because it's one thing if you have an older sibling who's a couple years older, mm-hmm. but they're so much older that they're pretty much not even in the house as you're starting to become yeah. of age. I didn't really know any difference, so I'd say no, but Growing up, the one thing I didn't like, it was like, they're so all mature already that they were like my parents. So it was kind of okay. just like, I had like four parents. It's <laughs> pretty irritating. But now that we're all older and like, we're all doing our own thing and stuff, like we're actually a lot closer. I think it brought us closer because now we can be together and stuff like how we really weren't as much when I was a kid. Where do they live? Are they all still in Hawaii? Yes. My entire family's in Hawaii. How often have you been able to see them since you came out to college to the mainland? You know, I did the normal college things, I had the semester break, so I'd go home for Christmas and, and summer. And then this year, my mom's been up to Philly a bunch already, and then my brother, actually, the Seattle game, he came out. I get to see him a little more than people would think. Quite a hike, though. To yeah, get there. it's not exactly hike. like... I feel bad. My mom's a trooper. She's been out here a bunch, but I don't think I can make that trip too many times. So you said you grew up playing soccer. Yeah. When did you get into football? My junior year, I kind of... Sounds bad, but I kind of got burnt out of soccer, and I was like, you know, I don't really want to do that. So I actually took a year off of sports my sophomore year. Fell out in love with sport. I mean, I still love it to this day. I I definitely think, you know, my family is going to play soccer, I feel, if they want to. But it's important to me. It's just kind of how it is. But I just fell out of love with it. Going into my junior year, my one of my best friends was like, hey, man, like, he should try out for football. He played football his whole life. And I was like, man, I guess that sounds cool. So, I, so I went out and made the team, and it, the rest is history. Just very much like, eh, I'll just go out there and <laughs> yeah. give it a try. Like, like uh, yeah, I'll give it a try, yeah. What positions I mean, did you play? I played safety in high school. They didn't let uh, – I went to a private school. They didn't really let us go both ways because there were so many, like, kids and stuff. That okay. So, but I've been defense ever since I started. was that the first position that they – like, your first time out there? Is that first time out, right out there was safety, yeah. And you just kind of said, okay. Yeah. Like, that's what you guys think. There. For some reason, I always liked safeties, though. I liked just watching all, like, Ed Reed and, like, Sean Taylor and all this kind of guys. So and I always and had Brian a, Dawkins. We'll have to, and of course, we'll have Brian, to mention of Brian. Brian Dawkins. <laughs> I was going to get into that. But. <laughs> Your bio does say that you were a fan of Brian Dawkins growing up. So It's funny is that my friend that I just told you about, he was the first safety that he ever introduced me. He's like, I want to be like this guy. Showed me Brian Dawkins highlights, and I was like, damn, like, all right, like, let's <laughs> really? do this. Yeah. So that's kind of how that happened. It's funny. So how did soccer help you with football, if it did at mm-hmm. all? Because there's a couple other guys. Like Nolan Carroll, I know, was a very, very good soccer player mm-hmm. until he got into football. So has that helped any aspect of your football game? I think soccer does a lot with, obviously, a lot with footwork. So, you know, I feel like I've got all my coordination and footwork from soccer, to be honest. I really do. I think it's really important for, like, young kids to learn how to work with their feet. Obviously, you know when you're a kid, you're like little baby lambs out there. So... <laughs> So, I mean, I think it's important. I think that's really what helped me most with everything is my coordination and my footwork. So, did you catch on to football right away? No, not as easy as you thought, no. Things did change pretty quick. I, I got a grasp on it quickly, but not as quick as you'd think. Was there a moment when the light bulb went on and you were like, man, I can be good at this. This is something that I'm having a lot of fun with. I could thrive in. 
it was crazy. It's kind of just the whole college experience and college, like me getting a scholarship and stuff kind of just happened. It's kind of just something I didn't know if I wanted to do or not. How did that come about? How did the, the college recruiting process come <laughs> so about? So crazy because so that same friend that brought me was like, hey, like you should try out for football. And I was like, all right. So he got offered to Eastern Illinois, which was D1AA. And I didn't have any offers. I was like, oh, yeah, I do want to continue playing football. So I wanted to go to JC. And I had like this big dream of going like SEC and stuff, like just because I thought it was cool. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And then the coach that offered him, Dino Babers, literally asked my friend, like, hey, is there anyone at your high school that like can play football? <laughs> And my best friend was like, yeah, I mean, my friend can. Like, I bet he just said it because he wanted me to go with him to college. Sure. But, yeah, but literally, Dino Babers came down, like, the next week and offered me on the spot. And I was like, all right. Are you serious? Sounds good. Wow. Yeah. Is your friend your agent now at least? <laughs> or something? I was going to say, he got, got you to football, seriously. got you to college. Like, he's one percent of the rookie deal. Crazy, so. crazy story. What do you miss about Hawaii? What are some of the customs, the traditions that East Coasters just don't have? <laughs> Definitely just the family vibe. No one honks at people, you know what I mean? Like, it's just everyone's so happy, and, and just, that's just kind of how I was raised. That's why, like, people here, they're like, you're always smiling, you're always laughing. I'm like, oh, no, I'm just, that's just how I am. That's what I do, exactly. Yeah. How about food? Brought some of that over to, oh, like, cook yeah. for the guys? Definitely. and I, I, It's funny, too, because my brother's coming next week, and he's actually coming up with a bunch of stuff. So I told the guys, hey, it's what we're doing. I'm going to make you guys food. Like, you guys are going to like it. What's it's going to look weird, but it's going gonna, it's gonna, <laughs> to, you'll like it. So what's the menu? What, well, we what are some, some of the specialties? We got some Kalua pig. We have some lao lao. We got some poi coming, some kulolo. Like well, what's, what's you, got, you got to break it down for us All here. Right. So the pig. Ka- I, the Kalua pig it. is just pretty much like shredded pork. Pretty much like, what do you guys call it here? Um, pulled pork? Pulled pork. Like pulled, pulled pork, pork. Just similar or different. But okay. <laughs> lao lao is actually, it's like you can cook it either way. You can have fish or meat, but it's wrapped in luau leaves. Okay. I would get it from back home. And then you steam it, and it just makes this it's awesome. And then kulolo is my favorite. It's like what we call taro. It's a dessert, so it's like poi, all the sugar and stuff. It's like, I can't even explain it. It's heaven. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's heaven. heaven. Maybe next time you can bring some in I'll for bring, us. I'll bring some in for you. We'll have yes. to try it. What was the transition like for you, though, going from Hawaii to eastern Illinois? I mean, that has to be a culture <laughs> shock. <laughs> I'm going to be real honest right here. So I was like, I don't know if I want to go. I was talking to my mom, and she's like, no, you have to go. My mom actually flew up with me, and Babers picked us up from the airport. So he picked us up in St. Louis, Missouri. This is the first time I've ever been away from Hawaii, ever. Midwest, too. Right. So he picks us up, and we're driving around middle of summer. So it's just like you can see everything. And my mom's sitting in the back, and Coach Babers is just talking up the whole town and like stuff like this. And he gets out. We stop at a gas station. He's like, I got to fill up gas. And right when he gets out, I turn to my mom. I'm like, I'm not staying here. There's no way I'm staying here. My mom pretty much was like, Well, I got one ticket, and it's for me, so I'm going back. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like the first six months were really rough for me just because it was such a culture shock. First time away from my family, and it was just vastly different in everything that I've known. But it's crazy now that that little town, Charleston, is like kind of home for me. Not a little, it's like it got a little place in my heart, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I like that place. It's got all my friends back there and stuff. And the cool thing about Babers, too, is he played at Hawaii and sort of the D coordinator. So, like, they knew what I was going through, and they were always there for me. And actually, the defensive coordinator's wife, she's Hawaiian. So, she moved out and has obviously living, has a family with him now. And yeah. so she was a big help with me and just like always bringing us over. And she was cook us food and stuff. You go there, you have limited football experience. You mm-hmm. played your last couple of years of high school. When did the NFL start become a possibility? When did all of a sudden that get on your radar as something that you could do as you could possibly land in? Midway through my junior year. Some coaches said a little something about it, like my sophomore year. But I was just like, all right, like that's cool. Like, but yeah. you know what I mean? It's Eastern Illinois. Like, how many guys have you had from here? Like, so midway through my junior year, I started getting like real scouts and like stuff like that. 
Was your pro day at Eastern Illinois, or did no. you do one with like other? I had to big go schools? to Northwestern to do my pro day because gotcha. our school is too small. Yeah. Did the Eagles show interest in the pre-draft process? Uh, a little bit. They did actually. So take me through draft weekend. It was a goal to be drafted, but I'm sure mm-hmm. once you start watching the draft, you're kind of like, "When's my name going to get yeah, called?" Yeah, what, exactly. what was it? What was it like for you? Were you back in Hawaii? Were you no, I was in actually, Illinois? I or? was in Chicago. We did a little thing because I did my training in Chicago. So. Gotcha. Some of my friends from Eastern Illinois come up, and my two brothers actually flew out. So I didn't even get to see my mom, really, for draft day, which was kind of weird. I didn't get to see her until after OTAs. I didn't really, but draft was real stressful, like, just because I didn't sleep much, and I was just so concerned about when I was going to get picked. And then, obviously, teams call you and be like, yo, like, I think we're going to get you here. Just like a tease. But when does that start in the draft? I had Arizona really, I really, truly thought I was going to Arizona. They even were talking to my agent and me saying that they like me in the fourth and fifth round. And in my mind, I like built up this thing like, oh, well, they have all these picks in the third round. Like, what if that happens? You know what I mean? It's yeah, just like you build course, it up, all yeah. this stuff. So, But yeah, that fourth round, that was a long round for me, for sure. And then finally, fifth round comes. Mm-hmm. And then they, they actually called me and were like, we're going to grab you here. And I was like, okay. And then they didn't. And they called me back. And were like, oh, we had Again? To, we, we, yeah. They're like, we had yeah. to go with center here. And I was like, all right, well, that's annoying. So at this point, you're almost like, don't call me. Just, yeah, I was just, just like, you're gonna pick I almost me, pick wanted me. to throw my phone at the wall. I was like, I was over it. So how involved was New England in the process? Really, they worked me out. They showed interest, but that was the last I heard of them. You know what's crazy is I feel bad now because I, I had so many phone calls. I answered it like, hello, like, <laughs> what's up? You know what I mean? Like, are you driving me or not? Like, kind of, I felt, <laughs> no, but it was honestly such a blessing. You know what I mean? Talking to Bill Belichick and Mr. Kraft, those are two great guys and obviously a great organization. I was honored to be there for as little time I was. So you're there fighting for a roster spot. You ultimately don't make the roster. What's that moment like when you find out you know, there's a lot of people there telling me that I was okay and, like, it was going to be good and stuff. And there's some injuries on the team that to some key guys that they had that came down to a lot of numbers. But mm-hmm. it was definitely rough, and I just didn't really know what was going to be next. They were, like, trying to bring me back on practice squad and stuff, and I was like, okay. And they're, like, saying, we're gonna, don't worry, we want to bring you up. But I was like, why can't you just bring me? You know, it was just a lot of selfish things I had going on. And I was like, all right, well, let's just wait then. I think the Eagles picked you up the next day. It's got to be a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. It was. How many sure. things are going through your head? It's like, oh, well, I don't have much time to kind of sit back and think about it. I got to go ahead to Philly. It was, for sure. Craziest thing was, like, I found out at, like, 12 o'clock, like, noon, and then I went back to my hotel, packed up, was on the road to Philly by, like, 4, got here by, like, 10, 30, 11, and I called them. I was like, okay, well, I'm at the hotel. Like, what's next? They're like, oh, well, we have practice at 7, so just be there. And I was like, all right. Really? Sounds good. Be there. So it's tough enough. You're already making the transition to the NFL as a rookie. You come now to Philadelphia, and did you know anyone on the no, team? Not, not, not one person. Didn't know a single person here. What was that first day like walking in the locker room and just saying, where do, where do I go? Yeah. I, you, don't, you don't know where anything is mm-hmm. in, in the building. There's really no words for that. I just kind of just put my head down and just kind of walked to my locker. Didn't really know. You know, the number one guy, and he's been my best friend since I've been here, is Jordan Hicks. The second I sat down and my, our lockers were together, he came up to me and said, what's up, and just kind of, He's the one that really kind of put me under his wing. So real awesome of him to be that kind of guy. How much has that relationship helped? And what does that speak to the leadership that he brings? Because mm-hmm. he's looked at playing that middle linebacker oh, spot as you know, one of the leaders on the yeah. defense. What does that mean that he's made you feel welcome and you know, helped you, you know, get adjusted to Philly yeah. very quickly? I mean, I, the best thing about it, I think, is it's not like he's like, there's some guys that feel like they're like, all right, you're the leader on the defense, so you have to act it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's not acting it. Like, he's genuinely is a leader, like, tries to help people and tries to, to lead the defense. So it's, like, actually genuine coming from his heart. 
what he wants. So, I mean, it's great. And me and him have been real close ever since. What's a typical special teams meeting like with Dave Phipp? You know, it's so awesome that you asked that because my first day, I was like walking in. Well, they kind of just threw me in the fire too. They're like, hey, you're starting at this, this, this. And I was like, all right. So my first special team meeting, I'm walking in. And I just met Dave Phipp that morning. He sounded like monotone, like, uh-huh. oh, okay, how you doing? Like, I was like, oh, no, like, <laughs> this is it. And then, then I'm walking in the hallway, and I'm hearing, like, country music and, like, rap music just pounding. And I'm like, where is that coming from? And I walk into the meeting, and Fip is on the stage, like, with his hands in the air, like, let's go. Like, pa- like music is pounding. I'm like, that was just, like, acceptable, like, right now. Like, there's other meetings going on. And, you know what I mean? That's just the energy he brings. Like, you know, I have few, like, very few coaches that I say, like, I love and I would love playing for and it's just I love playing for him like truly genuinely love playing for Fib. It's funny because our desks are upstairs but you know when we'll come downstairs to go to the cafeteria go to the locker room wherever sometimes you'll hear that music just yeah. blaring out of and I remember the first time that I heard it and I was like what is that and it's like oh special teams music. Yeah. <laughs> Stay fit. Great. That was my first experience I was just like wow I love this. <laughs> Immediately from day 1 I loved it. Well, Kama, we are happy to have you here in Philadelphia, and uh, we wish you the best of luck in the uh, rest of your rookie season. Thank you. Here. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Thanks, Kama. Kama Gruje-Hill, our guest this week on the Eagles Insider Podcast. Fun conversation, Alex, and just an interesting journey for someone who, look, Hawaii is not a hotbed for football talent. People know of it because of Marcus Mariota, uh, who's having a phenomenal season for the Titans in his second year as a quarterback. But you really don't think of, like, who are all the great players from the state of Hawaii? Mm-hmm. You usually think of... Florida, Georgia, Texas, yeah. those schools. So it was fun getting a chance to to learn more about Kamu. Yeah, but definitely you're, I think you're hearing more and more about some of the players coming from that part of the world, really, when you look at Hawaii and some of the Polynesian players that we've seen come through the NFL as well. But with Kamu, I just think his journey, he talked a lot about the culture shock of going from the atmosphere that he was raised in in Hawaii to being in the middle of the country, the Midwest, for the first time in his life. And, you know, he talked about that first time that he got there. He said, I don't want to stay here. Yeah. This, this doesn't feel right. For me, I can't really imagine what that must feel like to go to somewhere that's so different and to have to say, okay, this is going to be my home for the next four years. Give a lot of credit to Kamu, really fought his way through it. And obviously things have turned out for the best with him here in Philadelphia. He just beat the odds. I mean, he went to a, an FCS school. He went there kind of on a whim because his friend was going there. So it's not like he researched schools and visited to really get a right. sense of what the campus was going to be right. like. Late round pick, no guarantee to stick in the NFL, does get released, but is quickly picked up and has spent the entire season here in Philadelphia. And he missed a couple of games due to injury, but he's pretty much every week been in the active lineup and been a key part of the team's special teams unit. In a moment, we're going to get into our chat with Gruje Hill's assistant coach from college, Michael Hodges, to learn a little bit more about the rookie linebacker. But first, we want to tell you about Eagles Fantasy Camp. It is the ultimate football experience for any Eagles fan. Learn the X's and O's of the game from Eagles greats like John Runyon, Chad Lewis, among so many others, as you get to live out your football dreams at Lincoln Financial Field. Learn more at EaglesFantasyCamp.com. And look... Holidays are fast approaching, mm-hmm. you know, need to do a little last-minute shopping like I have to do. You Me might too. as well check it out. So, <laughs> again, that's eaglesfansycamp.com. So, now Michael Hodges. Okay, he, unlike Kamu, came from the football hotbed state of Texas. He was a walk-on at Texas A&M. Had, had a very fascinating collegiate career in his own right. Was a walk-on at Texas A&M, but earned second-team all Big 12 honors before his career ended. Was an academic first-team All-American at Texas A&M. For someone who came from a completely different world than Gruje Hill, how is he able to connect and get the best out of him? Let's find out now as we chat 
with Eastern Illinois co-defensive coordinator Michael Hodges. First, welcome to the podcast, and our first question for you is this. You joined the school in 2014. What were your impressions, those initial impressions, of one Kamu Gruje Hill? Yeah, Chris, well, I appreciate you guys having me on, and I'm a Texas kid that was out in California, then I moved out to the Midwest, and all of a sudden, one of the starting linebackers is going to be a Hawaiian, and so it's just kind of an odd deal in its own right, that, that matchup there. But Kama, when we got there, he was undersized, he wasn't really a linebacker, but we needed a hybrid kid in there who could really play. You could tell that there was some immaturity in both his on and off the field development, and, and there was some concern about making him a linebacker because it's such a gray area and there's so much to develop there. As far as his eagerness to learn and his excitement for the game of football, that was all there. So we knew we could get it done because his athleticism was beyond anybody that we had on our team at the time. And and really, he could have played corner for us or, or rush in for us, which he did actually parts of his senior year. Michael, his Hawaiian heritage is very important to him. Was there a time where took some time for you two to bond to connect to be able to reach him because like you said you're a Texas kid and he's Hawaiian and he's coming all the way over here to Illinois you would think that off the cuff considering the different cultures that we were brought up in but luckily I'd been in coaching and, and, and around players enough that I could get along with most anybody that I've ever met but also his mom I don't know how much I'm sure at some point that that was brought up is an angel and has raised him the right way and he didn't have necessarily a father figure that was constant in his life. And so there was some hard coaching early just to get him on the path that we needed to get him on. But once he realized that we were there for the right reasons and we were doing things for the right reasons, Kamu's smart enough to kind of let his guard down for the for people that are, are there to take care of him and really have the right intentions for him. So no, it really was, there was no issues or, or growing there. I mean, that was pretty immediate just because we both jumped into it Kamu explained to us how when he first got to school there that, you know, he was homesick. He had never been to that part of the country. And, you know, he as soon as he got there on his first visit, I might be heading home. I don't know if this is the place for me. But by the time that you became his coach, did you see any of that from him? Did you see any of that homesickness? We've got kids from Florida, the Northwest, Northeast, and, and all the way out in Hawaii. And it's natural, especially, you know, it's kind of funny. I guess it's funny, but it's really when that first snow hits. It all seems to keep come back. You know, a kid like that, or, or in the offseason when ball's not as busy to distract you. But there is definitely some of that. You know, being that his relationship with his mother is so tight, that's natural. But that being said, his best friend, or at least one of his best friends, who is might as well be blood, is Pono Choi, who just finished playing safety for us this past year. And it's not like he was out here off the island on his own. There were other people that he had. It truly had a support system in place really before we even showed up. I was just able to add to that and help him along the way. You mentioned the lack of a consistent presence from a fatherly standpoint. Did you try to fill that void yourself? I mean, in a way, I guess. And and I'm not to, that's his story to tell with his family, but, you know, just to have a male presence in his life. And so I didn't, I'm only 30, okay? And I just turned 30 in September. And so I have no kids. I got a dog and a wife. So to, to tell these kids and these recruits that I'm going to be, I'm going to treat you like my own, well, that wouldn't make any sense. I don't know quite how to do that. I think I've got a pretty good handle on it, but I do know how to be an older brother. And so I can try to guide you in a way that an older brother would, but still holding you accountable. And once I let that guard down and realized that and let them realize that, look, this guy's not that far out of it. He can relate to me. 
it opens up a few more doors and allows that relationship and that bond to grow even greater. Coach, would you say there was a moment, you mentioned he was a little bit mature both on and off the field. Was there a game, a bonding moment, a particular time when everything started to click for him? There are a couple times where in the spring, and it's funny, and y'all probably get this a lot, but it's usually at a time of disagreement. And there's a path now. All of a sudden, there's these two paths that we could go down. We're going to either go down this path together and figure it out, or we're going to go opposite ways. And then the, the relationship won't ever be as strong as it should. But we decided to go down the, boat, the same path. And just times where he had to get checked. And as a young college kid, he's no different than any other kid I've coached. They all feel like they know better at times. And I'll tell you this, Kamu is wicked smart. I mean, wicked smart. This kid comes over to the sideline during games and says, Coach, I think we should maybe look at this. And he's right. And so it's like, damn, that's a good idea. And so at times there's the divide between I know what I'm saying and I know more than you do. And so maybe that's because we got so close. But I can't think of any time in the first spring that was some breaking point where there's, okay, now we're guys. We slowly built this relationship through just consistency between me and him throughout the first spring. And then in the season, once things started clicking and things off the field and on the field that I taught him or tried to tell him that I thought would help him as a man or as a player, once those things started to work, it allowed more guards to go down and then more relationship to grow. And so there was no limit to what Kamu and I would discuss, anything from family to his girl to ball. And so that allowed us to really build a trust that let us jump and fire together, knowing that we both trying to find a way to get each other out. And so that was good for us. But it, to share a specific story where, you know, we both woke up the next day and said, that's my guy. I can't pinpoint one of those. No. So one of the other things that we talked to Kamu about was the draft process for him, because he really had to work for it. No combine invite. He had to go to Northwestern's pro day. So it certainly wasn't an easy time for him. How much were you kind of coaching and just talking him through that whole process? You know, that was probably this time last year, actually, it was pretty stressful because we go into northern Iowa to play our first playoff game and get beat pretty handily. His mom had flown in and I walk out of the locker room. Him and I have a moment in the locker room and then I walk out and she's in tears. And inadvertently, I I said, look, this is not your son's last ball game and I'm going to do everything I can to help him get to the next level. Well, man of my word, a cliche as that may be, I really took a lot of pride in that and said, look, I got to find a way to get this kid an agent. And so. I called teammates that I played with and asked for their agents' numbers. And after talking to eight or a dozen agents, finally got one to bite and say, look, I need not someone just to represent Kamu, but someone that is going to pay for his training. And so all of that was me and him. Truly, I was on the phone with all these agents for about a week and a half, two weeks straight, just trying to get somebody to believe me that all the predictions on this kid were wrong. I was heavily involved with that. It was stressful for him. It was stressful for me. But we were able to jump in with some agents that said, you know what, because of what you're saying and because of the film we've seen, we're going to go ahead and do it. To the point where, guys, I jumped on an airplane and flew to Minnesota when he did his regional combine so that he didn't have to get on the plane and do that thing by himself. And that was just something he asked me to do. And and it was a weekend that we didn't have anything going. So I drove up to Chicago and jumped on the plane with him. And so heavily involved. I don't take any credit for what the kid did. I did not teach that kid how to run fast. I didn't teach him how to do anything that he does that you guys see on Sundays. But what I did was just I told his mom what I was going to do, and and I followed up on it. And he trusted that I'd get him with somebody that could take care of him and get him to where he needed to be, that part of the business I know nothing about. So luckily we were able to land him an agent that took care of him and 
throughout the process while he trained in Chicago, we spoke. That's when he did it all. I didn't push him to make sure he ate right. I didn't push him to make sure he didn't go out on a weeknight when he knew he had training. All of that stuff, that was on him. All I did was help him get set up with the right guys and then made sure that he tested in the right places to get some eyes on him. And then everything else kind of took care of itself once you put all that work on display. Michael, what was it like for you draft weekend when he got the call from the Patriots? We had a kid, a recruit, a JUCO kid in, and the other code, the code coordinator and I on our way back to the airport in Champaign. And so we knew that it was going to be a Saturday draft, and we knew that it was coming up. So we're hauling tail back to Champaign, and instead of driving back to town, we'd go down into downtown Champaign and run to the nearest sports bar we can find. We literally get walk in, and his name comes across the banner. And so my stomach was rolling, mostly because I knew that he was probably a mess up in Chicago. I had a bunch of other players up there, his teammates that all went up there to celebrate with him hoping that he was going to get drafted on Saturday. And so they're all texting me. And so his mom called me. He called me. It was one of these moments where if I did have a son or if I had a little brother who was getting drafted, there was this pride that I felt, maybe just or unjust, I felt this pride, not because of what I've done, but because I was a part of it. And he allowed me to be a part of it. And so you know, all these people, they, they, they're so lost in what it takes to get up to that level. It doesn't matter if you're Vaughn Miller or, or Kamu who gets drafted in the sixth round. I mean, these guys all grind. There's so much more grind and there is glory. And I saw it firsthand with Kamu. For it to work out, it was the fruit of your labor. It was so much. It was powerful. And, and I'm just so grateful to be a part of it. It was fun. And it was really great for recruiting. I mean, turn around and blow up social media to try to get kids to prove that we can go do it again. So, it was quite a weekend. We were all happy, clearly. And then to go, you know, initially get drafted by the Patriots and be out there with a, another Eastern Illinois graduate. And so we spun that. We worked it all we could on our end. As upset as he was to leave the Patriots, he's a believer. He's devout. And so he sees that well, there was a reason he made the move. And he's extremely happy to be an Eagle. There's no doubt about that. Well, Michael Hodges, it's quite evident from the relationship that you've built with Kamu over the last couple of years, why he wanted you to speak on his behalf. And we greatly appreciate you joining us here on the Eagles Insider Podcast as co-defensive coordinator for the Eastern Illinois Panthers, one Michael Hodges. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks, Chris. Y'all take care. Great insight there from Coach Hodges, who the connection was a little rough there. He was speaking to us from the recruiting trail because no matter what level of the college ranks you are as a coach, you're always looking for new talent, trying yeah, the, to mind the next great player. The season never really ends as soon as the actual football season is over. And really throughout the year, there's constantly recruiting going on. But really cool of Coach Hodges to take some time with us despite being on the road. And it's an interesting story. I mean, we've talked about it, but didn't know what the fit was going to be and had some struggles with being homesick early in his coaching career. So it, it had to be a huge help for Conrad to have somebody like Coach Hodges there to just kind of help him along, and everything's kind of worked out. Yeah, to be like a big brother, so to speak, yeah. to kind of gone through the tough times. And look, Kamu's been a goldmine for a school like Eastern Illinois who's trying to recruit talent, and you're saying, hey, look, this could be you. You know, we've got Jimmy Garoppolo, we've got Kamu Grusha Hill. We've got guys who, you know, are getting selected to play in the pros and who are making it come be the next Panther at Eastern Illinois, so... We appreciate all of the comments and the ratings that we've received throughout the year, whether it's on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to the podcast. Next week, it is the regular season finale 
Well, we want to give a special thank you to Ricky Shu and Brian Thomas, who have done a phenomenal job all year producing this podcast. Until then, happy holidays, and thank you for joining us on another edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast. <laughs>